Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Tune in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. You're listening to the DC Public Library on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Lion Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, DC. This is an episode of Get Lit. I'm David Quick, Adult Services Coordinator at DC Public Library and Queen of Summer Reading. Today we are talking to Hannah Oliver and Cecilia Cackley, two wonderful booksellers here in DC. We're going to talk about our favorite reads from this summer, the world of bookselling in Washington, DC, and whatever else comes to mind. Cecilia and Hannah, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Sure. So before we start, um, I'll let you each introduce yourself and uh, talk a little bit about the bookstores that you each work at. Um, well, I'm Hannah Oliver Depp, and I have been uh, bookselling uh, in D.C. and New York for about 10 years now. And uh, this year, I opened up Loyalty Bookstores in Petworth, D.C., with a forthcoming location in Silver Spring, Maryland. Excellent. Congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> and I'm Cecilia Cackley, and I'm the children's and young adult buyer and event coordinator for East City Bookshop which is in Eastern Market on Capitol Hill. I've been working there for just over two years. Okay, great. And uh, as a librarian, I always love working with booksellers. I used to work at Politics and Prose, which I always feel like whenever I meet a bookseller these days, they worked at Politics and Prose at some point <laughs> in their career. There's a lot of PNPS. A lot of us there. did. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I love Politics and Prose, but I'm also really thrilled that uh, we've expanded so much in terms of number of bookstores in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, so the original idea for this show is that I always try to include some booksellers as kind of special participants in Summer Challenge, ask uh, you all to, to read a lot, but this summer also uh, focus on the books that you were selling to your customers. So that's what I'd love to have a conversation about. Um, Cecilia, before we start, though, for the past two summers... You were the readingest bookseller in Washington, D.C. Yes, yes, you were. <laughs> you have two uh, 3D printed trophies from the D.C. Public Library. Um, how many books did you read last year? That uh, I believe it was, a, oh, now I don't even remember. I think 80. Okay. I think closing in on 100, yeah. Yeah. In three months. Do you... Do you read that much in a summer, Hannah? Uh, I don't. I, I don't finish that many books. Yeah. I definitely start about eighty because if you want to stay on top of what's coming out, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes you're reading to get a sense of the book so you can talk about it, but it's not your book truly. Right. Um, but yeah, it, you book selling, you gotta read a lot. <laughs> you really do if you want to do it right. And do you have strategies for being able to read? that much that quickly (laughs) i usually start multiple books at a time and i try and alternate what kinds of genres i'm reading Mm -hmm. i also to qualify this slightly i am the children's young young adult buyer and event coordinator so that means most of what i read is aimed at a younger than 18 audience i don't read 1000 page fantasy books Mm -hmm. i don't really have time for that um and most of what i read is relatively fast-paced i read a lot of graphic novels Mm -hmm. i read a lot of things that are under 300 pages as much as possible so that also helps me keep my book count fairly high uh, because that's what i'm selling so that's what i need to be reading yes 
thank goodness for uh, graphic novels being so popular because you know yes. you can get your Goodreads number up real fast. <laughs> <laughs> graphic novel. Yeah, graphic novels. The 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 re uh, uh, the the new love of poetry. It's all really helping. <laughs> mm, yes, all these fast, slim volumes, right? Good. Uh, well, from what we read this summer, uh, what what are books that stood out from you for you this summer, and maybe um, events that you had at your store that that were really memorable? We don't do as many events over the summer usually. Just DC quiets down sure. a lot in the summer. Um, things that I read that were especially memorable, I read uh, the pa- Patron Saints of Nothing, which is by Randy Rabay, a fabulous uh, young adult novel about a young man who, a teenager who goes back to see his family in the Philippines and solves a mystery about the death of his cousin, um, which was just incredibly thought-provoking, beautifully written, and uh, had a just a great structure to it. The novel, the, the narrative, was broken up by letters that his cousin had written to him over the course of their childhood. So you kind of got this shifting timeline of what he was doing in the present and then things that had happened in the past. Um, And that was really beautiful. I really enjoyed it a lot. Nice, nice. Yeah, one of my favorites this summer, um, which I think is also a good transition into fall read, is uh, Magic for Liars by Sarah Galay. Uh, they are an author that uh, is kind of more famous for some of their alternate histories they've written about the American West and hippos. I suggest you look them up immediately. River about, of Teeth is fabulous. Yes. About hippo, hippopotami? Hippopotami, yes. <laughs> yes. We could have had uh, uh, ranchers uh, with hippopotamus instead of cows. Um, <laughs> this almost happened. Um, and so, uh, but this is a new uh, story. Uh, novel from her. It's wonderful. Um, and it's if you take a, a dark noir, combine it with a magical school a la Harry Potter, put it in San Francisco, and add strong uh, female leads. Hashtag strong female lead. Um, it is totally engrossing. The characters, the really the tension and the dynamic comes between two sisters, one of whom has magic and one of whom doesn't. The one who doesn't becomes a noir-style detective. We're talking... Uh, you know, uh, a small drinking problem. We're talking, you know, all of the really quintessential things. Um, being brilliant, observing everything around them, kind of not being able to turn their chatter brain off. Um, and she has to go uh, solve a gruesome murder at the magical school that her sister teaches at. So you've got this family drama, you've got this tension, you've got that, you know, hitting that uh, urge for some Harry Potter magic school. And there's a lot of jokes and references that she knows that you are thinking about that in the back of your head while reading this book. Um, and then it really takes on a whole life of its own, and I could not put it down for the last 200 pages. Nice. So good. Have you read it, Cecilia? No, but it is. I have a signed copy on my bookshelf <laughs> waiting for me. Okay, very nice. And is she going to come to an event? Or? So she launched the book actually with us at Loyalty uh, in conversation with John Scalzi, who's another speculative fiction author that I just adore. Um, and they, they had a, such a fun, uh, fun event, and then we did literary cocktails after based nice. on the book, which is something else we do regularly at Loyalty. So I had so much fun um, hand-selling that over the summer to people who either were looking to get into a different kind of book. They either... They were maybe fantasy readers and they wanted to try something different and this was a good bridge or they'd read detective novels or they were just looking for something different. And uh, Sarah's voice is so fun. It's really great. Nice. Look forward to it. Yeah. Um, 
Say a little bit about Literary Cocktails. That's one of my favorite yeah, events. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, Literary Cocktails is actually something that happens in the reading room, which is connected to loyalty bookstores and also our neighborhood bar, Petworth Citizen. Yeah. We share this event space. Um, and you can come in through the bookstore. Uh, and then every Friday and Saturday, Chantal Singh, who is an amazing, amazing genius behind the bar, uh, reads a different book every week and makes an entire full cocktail menu out of uh out of what she has read and we're I mean these are very thoughtful every single name of a drink is a quote from the book it's a little bit of an explanation and then um, just wonderful creative ingredients and it's delicious A and B it's really a fun way to experience a book in, in, in an, at another level mm-hmm. um, and it's so fascinating to me how different creatives engage with literature and this mm-hmm. is a really good way to think about that so you can show up and just learn about the book from her this way or you can read along with us as well it's also a really great way of rethinking some of your childhood favorites Mm -hmm. she did Redwall by Brian Jakes earlier in the summer which I went to and I hadn't really occurred to me before then that that's probably the book I read with the most alcohol in it as a child um, with all of the different beers and ciders and it gets referenced a lot because Jakes is British and obviously that's a a big cultural thing Uh, but it was just fabulous going through this cocktail menu and thinking about all the different references to different kinds of drinks uh, that that he incorporated into the book and then getting to try some yeah and it's the thing that I respect a lot about Chantal's reading is eclectic doesn't even begin to cover it and I really enjoy it running this bookstore and I read all over the map and we get to talk about all sorts of different books and it's children's classics it's mysteries it's uh, nonfiction. I mean goes all over the place so sometimes now that the bookstore is involved with the literary cocktails we get to bring in the authors as well right. so we'll be actually be doing um, Dominica uh, which is was so great we'll be doing that I think September 25th but towards the end of this month what is Dominica? Did you read it? I have not read it yet because the the arc is hot property is currently so at our bookstore at our bookshop, and I am far down the waiting list. Oh. It is. It's a very exciting thing, and a shout out to another uh, bookstore. It's going to be also discussed with the author um, at Lit on H Street, which mm-hmm. is at Solid State Books. Um, I think also that same weekend, but Angie Cruz is the author. Um, and I want to just really quickly give a shout out to that book because it was, um, it just came out, I believe, mm-hmm. last week. So yes. it's still super new. Um, but basically, uh, I think the summary is it tells you everything you need to know, but there's a 15 year old protagonist who moves to the States. Um, uh, and then basically, there's a marriage of convenience situation that happens that really changes how, uh, you know, how we view the way that people immigrate to the states and what happens there. So it takes place um, uh, starting uh, 1965 and I think moves forward in time. So uh, that's a very brief description because I don't want to give away what happens Mm -hmm. in the book. Okay. But it's a really, really moving story. It's an entertaining story. Um, And I, I can't really say highly enough how much it applies to what we're dealing with right now, but from an angle that we haven't yet seen. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Lit on H, is, that's a terrific uh, part of the, the book discussion community scene in D.C. And uh, our friend Lupita uh, and uh, her colleague Jamise, I think, uh, they run it. And they, uh, speaking of all of this, I mean, one of my favorite books of the past few months, going back to spring, was Heads of the Colored People by Nafisa Thompson Spires, so <laughs> which we hosted for D.C. Reads and we've talked about on this show a bit, so I won't <laughs> go into it too much, but... 
certainly was fun uh, to have her here and also uh, have literary cocktails about that book. Um, Diamond got to go to that, um, uh, which was a whole lot of fun. So uh, that's definitely... I'm still recommending that book, even though I know a lot of people who've read it at this point. And um, certainly delightful to have uh, Nafisa here. She's a lot of fun and a lot of fun on uh, social media. If you're looking for authors who are really, really active on Absolutely. Instagram, she's, she's a lot of fun. Um, well, you talked about Magic for Liars as a, a book that kind of crosses genre and is maybe like one of those books you can say, well... Maybe you don't read fantasy, but why don't you give this one a try? Are there other books that come to mind for kind of getting people into out, outside of a genre rut or <laughs> to try something new? So our Wine and Angst book club, which is our book club for adults. Amazing. So like YA. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, book club for adults who love YA is currently reading Undead Girl Gang by Lily Anderson, <laughs> which is a zombie novel, zombie friendship novel mm-hmm. um, about a, a girl who loses her best friend and uh, is, refuses to believe the adults when they say um, that, uh, that it was a suicide pact with two of the most popular girls in school. And because the protagonist and her best friend are witches, she finds a spell that will bring back the dead, but she accidentally brings back the popular girls as well. And they tell her that, no, it was not suicide, it was murder. And they only have days to find the killer. Okay. And uh, so think Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets Mean Girls. Um, in terms of tone, but I am not a huge horror reader, and I know a lot of other people who aren't as well, so it's a a really nice, fun, funny um, book that really really zeroes in on on the importance of friendship even beyond the grave and uh and moves the romance kind of second tier which Mm -hmm. is not always the case in YA obviously romance tends to be a pretty strong part of most plots Um, but I like that this one focuses on friendship and the zombies and the the horror aspect of it are light enough that it appeals to people who aren't particularly uh, strong fans of that that genre Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I really like continuing to convert as many people as possible to reading romance. Uh, and so I often recommend uh, Alyssa Cole's series, which uh, called The Reluctant Royals. Okay. Um, the, uh, my favorite in the series is a trilogy and two novellas. Um, and my favorite in the series is uh, called uh, Duke by Default. Yes. Uh, <laughs> takes place in Scotland. There's, um, you know, she's, you know, in my... Uh, opinion the like queen of interracial romance contemporary uh, also has an incredible historical uh sort of a spy slash romance series that takes place during the civil war um but what i love about her is that you immediately become engaged with the main characters and they're these incredible women that you want to be friends with and you may be friends with women like you may find yourself in these women um and you really root for them and part of that is them finding a, a romantic partner who is worthy of them and respects them. And that is a really great avenue into romance, I think, for a lot of people who don't realize that they're for women and feminist works mm-hmm. <laughs> in that way. Yeah. Um, and then I also love a uh, former DC resident, uh, Alicia Rye, who just had, had a book that just came out called The Right Swipe, uh, which is about a developer who comes with like a, a female-friendly version of a dating app, right? Mm. So it's, you know, becomes a competitor to the in-that-world sort of Tinder version. Uh, and there's a lot of good political intrigue. And, of course, one of the summer's greatest hits, Red, White, and Royal Blue, yep. <laughs> um, which has converted a ton of people to reading Romance in the Store, which makes me really happy. And I think is especially 
of interest for people in this city because it does mostly take place in Washington, D.C., and Mm -hmm. the two main characters, one of them is uh, the first son of the President of the United States in this fictional world where we have a, a... Texas Democrat woman president. We did say they were fantasies. Um, Who falls in love with the younger uh, uh, royal prince Mm -hmm. of England. And so... His name is Henry. His name is Henry. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so it's it's great. And I think even if you're somewhat jaded on sort of the political scene, and if you're one of those people who's like, I just can't take looking at the news one more day, don't hand me anything with politics as a part of it, having this book is just like a breath of fresh air. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think really does give you that sense of, okay, yeah, you know, good things are possible. Mm -hmm. Nice. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that romance is a genre that I I know so little about and I, I try not to have any attitude about it at all because I know we appreciate that. Yeah, no, I mean, people, people get pretty snooty about, any genre that they're not into, but I think romance gets a lot of, uh, just a lot of guff, and that's not cool, particularly because it's, it's extremely popular. People love it. Like, at the library, in our online collection, like, just, people yeah. just love it, and that's great. That's and I great. do recommend, especially when you're getting into it and trying to find things, like, definitely all booksellers should be happy to talk to you about this, but mm-hmm. also, please do check out your library, because you can kind of piece together, like, any expansive genre there's a bazillion different kinds of romance. You need to find what's going to work for you, just sure. like with mystery, just like with fantasy. Mm-hmm. And I like, uh, obviously, uh, Red, White, and Royal Blue uh, was clearly very popular this summer. You, know, you just mm-hmm. kind of saw it at every bookstore yeah. and you saw it online. Um, are there other uh, titles for, that are kind of queer romance books that that's stick out for you? <laughs> so The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics <laughs> is absolutely fabulous. It took me way too long to read this book. Everybody on Twitter was nagging me, and I got there. I got there, y'all. But it's a historical romance, which is generally not my type of romance Mm -hmm. at all. I don't usually like historical. I'm much more into contemporary. Um, But this is set in... Uh, in in England, and it's a romance between an artist and a scientist. So one of them is an astronomer, and the other is uh, a a widow who who sews. She does embroidery. And obviously the romance is beautiful and excellent and hot, but it also... Very hot. Very hot. (laughs) But it also weaves in these fabulous conversations about the value of art and the value of science and how do you keep going when the patriarchy is trying to bring you down. Um, And I think it just, oh gosh, it was so, so fabulous to read. And I really hope that lots more people read it. The conversations about like, what do we value in art? Why? How do art and science intersect? Like, what do we keep? Reminded me actually a lot of the conversations that happened station in station 11 by, mm-hmm. um, and then St. John Mendel, which was, you know, after society has broken apart and we're rebuilding it, what do we want to keep? What do we want to put the effort into keeping and what do we want to? And it's kind of a similar thing. If you're in this repressive moment, what does it mean to make art? What does it mean to, you know, defy the patriarchy and become a scientist you know all of these things i just loved it cool is that pretty new or came out earlier this year you can see the look uh, booksellers (laughs) have on their face right now trying to remember because we read we read things in weird orders weird order (laughs) very weird orders i'm reading for march 2020 right now i have no idea what's happening (laughs) but yes i believe it was early this year yeah so it still should be on shelves in bookstores got it might be a little bit of a wait list. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it. Um, well, uh, while we're talking about uh, 
liter- books from the world of queer literature. One mm. of the books I read over my summer vacation was a book called Real Life by Brandon Taylor that hasn't come out yet. And uh, I w- it's not romance, although uh, romantic relationships and sexuality are huge themes in it. And it's it's a it's a difficult book, even though it reads very quickly, but very much about like. Uh, things that uh, queer people of color who are in very white environments deal with, um, and certainly a very literary take on that. So I'm looking forward to when it comes out and a lot of people have have read it and and get the chance to discuss it. I'm excited to read that. Mm -hmm. We had um, also with the anniversary of Stonewall, the New York Public Library released the Stonewall Reader this year, which Mm -hmm. has been a big seller for us. And uh, it's a beautiful paperback um, pink book as it should be. Uh, and it's, it's this, like, it's this eye-catching book, but it's um, uh, uh, oral history uh, from the archives of the New York Public Library on Stonewall, and it's been really, really nice to see people picking that up and actually getting their history a little bit more into mm-hmm. their bones. Nice. Well, I, uh, like I said before we started, I, I thought, I, I think of both of you as kind of having a real interest in equity in the world of reading and bookselling and, and uh, social justice. Um, what else would you say about that in terms of uh, selling books and creating community around books? Um, what, is that, what does that feel like to be a bookseller working on those things in Washington, D.C.? takes a lot of effort. <laughs> <laughs> Publishing yeah. doesn't make it easy mm-hmm. um, by any stretch of the imagination. And as a buyer, going through catalogs and talking to reps and seeing even just the the boxes of advanced copies that we get sent. I got one from one of the big five publishers. Oh, we'll call them out. It's HarperCollins. Yep. Uh, and I went through their, their fall box, which is for the books that are coming out next year, next spring, mm-hmm. winter and spring, and there was a single title by a black male author in that mm-hmm. box, and I went, hi. Yeah. Not and, okay. And you know what's interesting, especially in terms of their young adult literature, they're actually one of the better ones. Absolutely. So that, that you know, that's the thing is that like uh, HarperCollins young adult literature is very diverse, especially the ones they champion and celebrate. But, you know, if you look at the overall numbers, you might walk into a bookstore, especially if it is E-City or if, um, you know, my bookstore is uh, extensively features um, the full range that I can of diversity. And that is the main focus. So that's the main thing on the table. And I would say if you're a straight white man in my store, you must be the best author of all time um but I, I you know you might walk in and especially in dc with the kind of bookstores that we have here and, and what people try to focus on um might miss what's happening in the larger publishing world which the numbers are still just staggeringly a bummer um and we go through catalogs with thirty thousand titles in them and there's 20 to 30 books um written by people of color mm-hmm. um Sometimes the subject matters there, but they're not being written by themselves. Um, and and, and then looking at those, there's not a huge amount of diversity. And, and mm-hmm. I also write for the blog Latinx and Kidlet, um, which focuses specifically on books by and about Latinx uh, um, uh, cultures. And for the longest time, it's been about half Mexican, maybe forty percent. Cuban and few Puerto Ricans in there. Uh, and this, you know, in Washington, D.C., a city where we have so many Central American readers here, so many uh, kids who are looking for, for stories that reflect their lives. And it's like pulling teeth to mm-hmm. try and find them uh, from, from mainstream publishers. Yeah. 
And so, you know, one of the things that I think we try to do is be open to um, independent authors, especially those of color. Um, you know, the way that the industry is set up, the way that independent bookselling is set up, you're already in this huge uphill battle. So anything that adds, you know, two more days of admin and, and work and things can be really difficult, but we do try to um, find those people to feature. Uh, but it doesn't, you know, there, there's kind of a thing, you know, I had to come up with a system at the store, so I had a review period, so I, because you're just getting inundated with it, but, you know, you are trying to, to champion people. Um, so you do a lot of feedback. One of the great things about independent bookselling is the close relationships we have with publishers, um, that we do have a direct line to let them know, hey, this is what's selling in my store. It's freaking great that I get to sell stacks of Elizabeth Acevedo, shout out to our DC queen, but what... Uh, uh, give me a thousand more Elizabeth Acevedo's. Mm-hmm. Give me a thousand more Jason Reynolds. Give me a thousand more Ibiza Boys. I need them. These like the kids are like they read fast. I don't know if you know this about kid <laughs> chapter readers. And yes, they'll read the same book a hundred times. But like especially once they're hooked into chapter books, man, they want a ton of them. Um, there's this great um, Mia Mayhem is a superhero, uh, which is an early reader, which is actually one of the biggest places that I struggle. I should be picking Silly's brain about this now that I think about it. Um, to find diverse um, things in beginning readers, early chapter, they're before kids are really ready for those big chunks, but when they've moved past chapter books, and they're to help them actually learn how to read independently. And, you know, they are if they're even about kids, they tend to be really traditionally white. I mean, this is the realm of, uh, you know, Dick and Jane, mm-hmm. typically. Um, obviously, the industry sort of moved past that, but you really struggle to find uh, mirrors for children who want to see themselves when they're learning to read, when they're trying to find things that interest them. And that's that really pivotal moment where a lot of kids stop reading. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would agree. And it's also you know, visuals are such an important thing. And we are seeing kids really, really drawn to those heavily visual books, whether that's graphic novels, whether that's something like Dogman, which yep. of course has completely taken over the early reader market. Uh, kids can't get enough of it. Um, and they like the fantasy, they like the mm-hmm. action, um, but that's all the more reason that those kind of stories should feature children who look like them. And that it doesn't always have to be animals um, and animal characters. Uh, if you haven't picked up uh, the Yasmin series oh, and, so good. and the new one, in. Sadiq, have you got the new one? Just Excellent. got Excellent. Because yeah. um, I love those. Those are fabulous. Uh, you should say it again for people who don't know the, the sure. off the top of their so, heads. So Meet Yasmin um, is um, by Sadia Faruqi and it's from Picture Window Books and that's a lovely series of early chapters about a little girl doing all sorts of things. She is absolutely a go-getter and whether it's fashion or art or drawing a map of her neighborhood, um, they are very active books and uh, just a great a great jumping off point for doing activities with children and encouraging them to get out and, and try new things. And then the follow up series I don't have the author's name off the top of my head but the character's name is Sadiq mm-hmm. and uh, similarly uh, about a boy who um, goes on a fun run and becomes an astronomer and just lots of different kinds of activities um, they're super super cute yeah. Excellent. And the first series I mentioned is called Me and Mayhem. Um, and there's, I think, four out right now. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, and the other thing is we also, you know, we're looking for people who are, uh, uh, like, there's genderqueer characters. Um, and we do make, a, I think, a, a, a big deal in the industry about when those books come out and we feature them, um, whether it's digitally or physically in the stores. The publishers tend to, to put things behind them. But, you know, you're looking at point zero zero 
1.9%, you know, depending on the publisher. Um, so yes, you might see a lot of marketing for that, but the overall extent of what's truly being published, thousands and thousands of titles every season by these major publishers are still missing this. Really minimal. Yeah. So it's, it's the kind of the, the PR and the reality aren't quite matching. Mm-hmm. Aren't quite. They're definitely not matching. Okay. So I'm glad they're being celebrated, but that doesn't mean the work is done. Sure. Absolutely. Are there, here in D.C., are there, uh, are there other kind of people or booksellers or book clubs that really stand out as kind of furthering this work and making things even better? We love Lupita. We yeah. wish you were here. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Lupita. We love you. Um, there's definitely, I mean, most of the, I think a lot of the book clubs that have caught fire that are larger book clubs, either they're rooted in stores or they're things like Lit on H Street, which, um, you know, is uh, being hosted by Lupita at uh, Solid State, um, or there are even online hashtags like Diverse Spines, hashtag Diverse Spines. If you're not following that hashtag, please do. Um, and that is obviously larger than the D.C. area, but it started here. And it's mm-hmm. that kind of thing where you can get recommendations from people, whether they're book bloggers, whether they are bookstagrammers, they're booksellers, they're casual readers who find a book in the library they're excited about and they throw it up on the Internet. Um, there are There is this movement. There's this thirst. Um, for it and it's great and um, uh, you know Mahogany Books and Anacostia shout out to them they're great they're great curators Um, and you know they focus on books from the African Dysphoria and they really try to lift up their community Um, we obviously have Sankofa you know um, we used to have a black chain we used to have Caribou you know that DC used to be host to dozens and dozens of bookstores and obviously the larger market has changed but it's really nice to see the industry growing and in that have room for us to all have our own personalities and character and feature the books that we care about that are unique to our communities. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Would you say, uh, I was talking about Nafisa Thompson-Spires earlier, who's uh, very much uh, social media uh, and Lupita mm-hmm. hugely active on social media. What's, what's your take on social media as a bookseller? Um, I mean, you're talking to people who love it, like a lot. Um, There is, I think, it's not just generational, it's also regional. Um, It depends on how engaged your store is. I think a lot of um, stores traditionally saw it as just like, oh, this thing to add to their to-do list. Um, And then as more native users, I think, became booksellers, um, it's more naturally folded into the way the store works. I just, like, books are pretty. The internet likes pretty things. Mm-hmm. It's not, like, a hard <laughs> equation. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think bookstagrammers, we have, um, you know, we're starting this up again. We took a break for summer, but we have a monthly bookstagram meetup at the bookstore in our reading room. Um, and we drink some wine and we talk about just, like, what everyone's reading. It's just a wonderful time. It's, like, kind of a purely wonderful warm time, especially when, you know, my livelihood depends on how many books that I sell. It's nice to take a little bit of a step back from that and just talk to a ton of people who are just so excited Mm -hmm. um, about what's coming out. And there is that genuine fervor in Bookstagram, which is book Instagram and book Twitter and everything. Um, But, yeah, I mean... I see you on Twitter as much as I'm on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah I, I do Twitter as opposed to Instagram. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have enough bandwidth for multiple social media channels <laughs> usually. Um, and, and one of the things that I love about Twitter, A, you just get a ton of recommendations mm-hmm. um, from, from people who aren't necessarily in D.C., but who are across the country. And it also allows us to, to make connections. I feel incredibly lucky that I've been able to meet 
people that I became friends with on Twitter in real life yeah. and, uh, and, and be supported by them in my own work. I have Twitter friends who make it a point to order books from our bookstore and we ship them to them. And these are people who live in New York City and have 20 million bookstores around them. But you know, they, they support the work that I do and that my bookstore does and, uh, and they, they want to, to make sure that that continues. So the support that you can get despite the fact that, yes, it can be a trash fire at times. Um, in YA Twitter especially, that's because people are having tough conversations. Mm-hmm. And I think um, conflict is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, you know, sometimes you have to take breaks and always try your very best to remember that there are people behind <laughs> the handles. But at the same time, those conversations are necessary. And I think it's because of those conversations and willingness to engage with each other that you are seeing uh, some some growth in the YA market towards equity uh, as opposed to, to other sectors sometimes of publishing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, YA and Chapter in particular, their authors tend to be really engaged on social media. Um, same with, I think, the genres of adult literature, um, whether it's speculative fiction, whether it's mystery, whether it's um, mystery a little bit less, but um, especially with romance. I mean, Romance Landia Twitter is like, oh yeah, do not cross <laughs> them. Uh, it's amazing. So it, it is this really, it's, it's this great place to engage and learn and even if you just kind of like watch it happen but um you know the other thing that I I I do kind of like you know let people know is uh, I think sometimes bookstores expect like well we posted a book on Twitter and we didn't sell 30 copies I don't understand you're like no it's an engagement it is a conversation um and so you know yes obviously tag your author tag your publisher use hashtags but it's not just there isn't it's not a science you know it's about actually building community Mm -hmm. um and that leads to you know this sort of amorphous community online that can affect your sales and can affect your larger community reach but it's not like a a a leads to b really quickly (laughs) right right yeah i think for social media as a reader um and a librarian it's also kind of amazing how many authors really do interact right back with you um, on these spaces. I mean, I was reading the preview of Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead and tweeted a, a passage of text that I thought was really great and that I was excited about the book, and he he retweeted it and said, thanks for reading, David. I was like, aren't you really busy? Colson Whitehead? Colson Whitehead? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I appreciate that. Authors are humans. <laughs> it, it, it gives you that opportunity to interact with these people who are creating all this wonderful literature and, mm-hmm. uh, yes, uh, reminds you that they are human beings who are, yeah. who are paying attention and yeah. are grateful that you're reading their work and interacting with it. So that, that part of social media is very fun. If you're ever sad, just look for uh, on Jason Reynolds' Twitter feed when teachers contact him about what yeah. their students are reading and he's so moved and they're so moved and, and you're just like start crying. Stop fast. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Um, well, speaking of Jason Reynolds and EB's a boy, um, Hannah, we got to work on an event over at our Anacostia Branch Library where um, you got to moderate a conversation with uh, EB's a boy and Jason Reynolds about James um, Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other thoughts about that? Since we're both here, we were I both there. Stop thinking about <laughs> it. Um, I, I did. It did send me immediately uh, back to James Baldwin. Um, uh, to read Going to Meet the Man, which is the collection of short stories that Jason Reynolds mentioned in that. And I think you guys still have that conversation up online, right, mm-hmm. for people to listen to? Yeah. Um, not because I am so brilliant, although I am. It's really, I mean... Uh, you are. Oh, thank you. Uh, Jason and Ibby's uh, conversation was great because they were coming at it from such different places and, you know, the legacy of James Baldwin in 
American letters is huge and African American letters is huge. Um, queer, I mean, it's it's the man, the reach is far, um, but also kind of like the public persona that we've now given James Baldwin and how that's being co-opted sometimes is really fascinating. Um, and uh, my favorite novel by him is Another Country. It's kind of the chunky, the chunky one. Um, chunky, and, like, long? Yeah, okay. yeah. It's, sorry, just a lot of his works are, like, thin, right. you know, beautiful, right. slim volumes. And this is one of the larger ones. But it's really struggling with uh, a community, struggling with what to do when someone who they have a complicated relationship yeah. with dies. And it's one of my favorites because... Baldwin is all about love and about not shying away from the hard stuff Mm -hmm. and that is really the essence of that book but um, you know what really uh, we should mention Evie's Boy just had a great um, uh, chapter book come out middle grade novel as we call them in the industry um, called My Life is an Ice Cream Sandwich that I loved and I cannot stop talking about Um, and I think uh, and if you don't know Jason Reynolds writes the, the track series and every other his new book is called look both ways and it's coming out shortly from simon and schuster so exciting um and i was actually thinking about look both ways because it is about uh a story of a character in 10 blocks as it as the the blurb says um and uh, james baldwin wrote this book about a kid walking around the neighborhood and literally nothing happens to this child except they walk around the neighborhood and they talk to the people and the people tell them to go you know go home or come over here kid and you know just what it's really like to be a kid in a city when your universe is these few blocks Mm -hmm. um and your neighborhood is like that and it's one of the things that i sometimes you know your neighborhood especially in a place like dc there's a thousand small towns inside of dc Um, and I love seeing that represented in literature, and I, I liked seeing that kind of direct line between Baldwin's writing and Jason's writing. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I haven't stopped mulling it over. I haven't stopped thinking about what is James Baldwin actually saying, and what am I putting on James Baldwin <laughs> to say? And, you know, icons like that, right. you know, it's an ever evolving relationship. Right. Yeah, I just read Giovanni's Room for the first time over vacation, and it's a yeah, fascinating story, strange. Um, yeah. Who did the? I'm not being very helpful right now. Who did the, the? Just did the photo shoot based on Giovanni's Room? It was in the the New York Times fashion, fashion magazine. That's what right? it was. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. two cool. men mm-hmm. wearing fabulous clothes. Clothes that <laughs> I can't afford. Correct. <laughs> but, yes. But very, very, very queer. I mean, beautiful. Like yes. Two men. Beautiful queer fashion shoot. Yeah. Um, evoking Giovanni's room, and I was like, "Well, there's another <laughs> example and of this legacy." I think online, at least, I don't know how it was in the print version, but it's uh, the photographs accompany Hilton Al's essay essay about James Baldwin. So um, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, the video of that discussion. It was the the National Book Foundation that actually sponsored the conversation with Hannah and uh, Zaboy and Reynolds and it's on their website I believe okay Um, great and and you got to lead it twice right I did (laughs) I also got to talk to Robin Cos Lewis and Casey Gerald um uh, Robin Cass Lewis, the author of Sable Venus, a National Book Award winner in poetry collection, which please, please look up. And then um, Casey Gerald, who wrote uh, There Will Be No Miracles Here, which is a seething, beautiful uh, memoir about um, the uh, sort of a refutation of the American dream as someone who had achieved it and then questioned it. Um, he's 
a queer man of color as well. Uh, and they, you know, again, every conversation was so different because everyone brings their own stuff to Baldwin, right? And, you know, they, they had, uh, you know, Ron Goss Lewis had this sort of like scholarly inheritance of black letters with Baldwin and Casey Gerald had the, you know, approach of being personally so moved by, by the work and they are also incredibly brilliant people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they think both of those are up at the, at, uh, from Team Book at the National Book Foundation. Very nice. Um, Cecilia, before we started, we were uh, talking about an event that's coming up this weekend, the Small Press Expo, which mm-hmm. it's always interesting to talk about. Are you both going to go, or any people you're looking forward to seeing while you're there? I'm really excited. Kat Fajardo, who's a fabulous comics artist, has a brand new comic about her childhood. I love autobio. It's one of my favorite genres of comics, and I'm so excited about this. I actually got to interview her for Latinx and Kidlet because she did the cover art for the fabulous book, The First Rule of Punk by Celia Pérez. Perez, which was a huge hit at mm-hmm. our store last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Perez has a new book out called Strange Birds, A Guide to Ruffling Feathers, uh, which is super cute and awesome. Great friendship story that's out now. And uh, yeah, Kat's just an amazing, uh, amazing creator, amazing comics artist. She's under contract for a new graphic novel um, based in, in her own um experience as uh, someone with family in, in Honduras who grew up in the United States and I'm really excited about it and excited to get this little sneak peek um, mm-hmm. at SPX. And we're also going to be hosting uh, Jen Wang on Saturday uh, who's just an amazing, amazing comics artist. She won uh, multiple Eisners this year uh, for her book The Prince and the Dressmaker which is a, a teen comic, uh, historical, sort of alternate historical a teen comic and her her new book is for a slightly younger audience and it's called Stargazing and it's not autobiographical but it does draw some elements of her own life uh, it's about two Chinese American friends and their friendships and uh, and how it, it changes both of them it's just beautifully drawn beautifully written I think it's going to be fabulous for all of those kids who just love Raina Telgemeier and Smile and CeCe Bell's book Jana Hale uh, and so yeah that's it um, it's going to be at three o'clock at East City Bookshop on Saturday Excellent. And um, we're hoping for a good crowd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love walking small pros expo so I can find. We also do a lot of gift items, a lot of prints, those kinds of things at the store. Uh, we like to just be in complete control of your home vibe uh, <laughs> uh, with loyalty, whether it's the books on your shelves or the art on your walls. So um, it's, uh, it's a great place to find local creators or national creators I haven't heard of yet. It's such a fun time. I do recommend people check that out. It's yeah. a Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Uh, right out if you've never been to White Flint, Maryland, it's it's great. <laughs> um, there's some there's some good bagels, man. Okay. There's yeah, good yeah. bagels to be had. There's a good pizza place nearby. That's that's <laughs> what I'll probably get lunch. Um, I'm hoping I didn't check to see if he'll actually be there, but there's a comic book writer uh, named Ed Luce who does a comic book called Lovable Oaf, which mm-hmm. is about this uh-huh. big hairy gay wrestler. It's <laughs> great. It's, it's so good. It's so funny and weird and full of love and sex, and it's just, it's a hoot, and he's a really lovely guy. Um, he was at East City one year. Um, mm-hmm. I got Hannah Sternberg all excited about it back when she worked back when she worked there, so hopefully I'll get to see Ed again and buy some weird little figurine of yes. the, the elf yes. that he's yes. created. Um, very nice. Um, Hannah, uh, you actually you mentioned at the beginning you, you are an owner of your bookshop. You started a business. 
anything you'd like to say about being an entrepreneur in <laughs> D.C. and Maryland? You're, you're yeah, crossing uh, D.C. and Maryland. We're crossing the Montgomery County line. <laughs> um, so, uh, first of all, check out loyaltybookstores.com um, and uh, sign up for updates about what's happening with our Silver Spring store. We're there at the farmer's market every Saturday, and we're hoping to um, open our doors for our next growing location there this fall. Um, it's... It's definitely a challenge being a young woman of color um, whose background is in this industry. You know, uh, I don't know if you know, there's not a ton of money in books. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, really what I bring is my knowledge, my ability to do this and do this very well. Um, and, you know, once you come into the store, once we speak, um, you know, hopefully uh, you can see that. And but, it, you know, on paper, the way that businesses are typically run. Um, people don't understand why why I'm doing this, why you know why that this is a very smart investment, why um, you know we really need these things in DC, and why the response is so strong because um, they're not necessarily thinking about what these communities are hungry for. Um, they're used to being told or telling these communities what they want, not listening to these communities about what they want. Um, and you know, I have the combination of you know the soul of an activist and uh, the cruelty of a capitalist that really yeah. just combines for book selling. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the, it is you know it is a very strange thing because I'm doing this out of love. But it is a business at the end sure. of the day. Um, so walking that line is something that I've been doing on behalf of other people for a long time, and I love 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 doing it. It doesn't matter if I'm up till you know 2 a.m. Uh, looking at book catalogs and deciding what we're going to bring in in a couple weeks uh, or a few months. Um, I'm insanely happy to be doing it and you do get to truly become enfolded into a part of your community in a way that I never was able to before. I love it. Nice. Yeah. Nice. How did you choose the name loyalty? I don't think I've ever heard that. Oh, interesting. Uh, it's a combination of C.S. Lewis's guiding principle and Kendrick Lamar. So okay. those two things together get uh, me. I also think it's the relationship between a community bookstore and its community. It's Excellent. a mutual two-way street of loyalty towards each other. Nice. Uh, well, this has been very fun. Do either of you want to do any more shout-outs or programs that you're excited about? Um, Cecilia, I know you're also in the theater world and a, and a writer. Is there anything you have coming up that you want to... Yeah, so The Welders, which is a playwriting collective here in D.C., has a project called The Earth That Is Sufficient that's been going since March. Uh, We've been doing uh, experiences, we we call them mushrooms, um, short pieces, and we did a series of mushrooms in the spring, and we just started our fall series. So um, the piece Climate Futures will be produced this weekend at the House of Sweden, and it's a multimedia experience of imagining um, what our future climate and what our experience of the climate is going to be like. And so I would love to see folks there. I think it's going to be a really great time. Starts at 2 p.m. at the House of Sweden. On which day? On uh, Saturday the 14th. Okay. Busy weekend for you. (laughs) Yeah, and we at Loyalty do a program once a month called Books and Brunch. Uh, It's an intimate experience, totally different way of experiencing an author in a book. Again, you get a full brunch, you get a couple mimosas. Um, and you get to chat with an author and get a book signed. So um, on the 22nd of this month, we're meeting with Amy Stewart uh, for the Cup Sisters, which is an awesome uh, mystery series, uh, American mystery series. And then um, we are lucky enough to be hosting on October 20th, Jamie Attenberg for All This Could Be Yours. She's one of my favorites, speaking of book turnet. Uh, she's a great person to follow on Twitter and Instagram, um, mostly for her dog Sid, but also for her witty remarks. <laughs> um, and so that's a great novel. So both of those things you get to get a full brunch, get an intimate experience with an author, and get a book signed. It's great. 
Excellent, excellent. Well, Hannah, Cecilia, thank you both for being here. Um, and you. we'll be glad to have you back anytime you want to come on the show. <laughs> Uh, this has been an episode of DC Public Library on Full Service Radio. Visit dclibrary.org for more information. Uh, what are your websites for your bookstores? Loyaltybookstores.com and at loyaltybooks on social. Mm-hmm. Eastcitybookshop.com and at eastcitybooks. Very nice. Uh, for more information, uh, send your feedback to at DCPL on Twitter or at DC Public Library on Instagram. Thank you for listening and have a good afternoon. Mm-hmm.